Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. I am pretty excited about the guest that we have today. She's got a brand new book out. Dr. Margaret Klein-Solomon is a clinical psychologist, and she has turned into a climate warrior. And her brand new book is called Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. And we are going to be talking about her book. We're also going to be talking about an organization that she is the founder and executive director of. So without further ado, welcome to Go Green Radio, Margaret. So glad to have you and congratulations on your new book. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Now, you make it clear from the start of your book that it is a self-help guide, but it's not intended to make us feel less pain. So I think this is an important place to start. Talk to us about the primary purpose of your book. The purpose of the book is to help people really reckon with the climate emergency, not just intellectually, but emotionally with their whole selves. And when you do that, it is a tremendously painful process because our situation is horrible. And the purpose of my book is to help the reader take that pain, feel it fully, and then turn it into protective action on behalf of humanity and the living world. So yeah, pain into action is the most important argument in my book or goal. Yep. And and we're going to talk about how we turn that the emotion and the and the feelings that we feel into something really productive. Um, and I, I read your whole book, couldn't put it down, so I'm excited to dig into the, the details. But I want people to understand a little bit more about your journey. You weren't always a climate activist. And I think it's important for us to talk about what was your tipping point? Because I, I think a lot of our listeners may be experiencing their own tipping points now. And I'd really like for you to tell us when and how you decided to engage in the climate emergency. So I was uh, working on my PhD in New York City in uh, the early uh, 2010, 11, 12, and becoming more and more alarmed by the climate emergency. Hurricane Irene happened. Hurricane Sandy happened. Uh, I could feel the uh, changes in the climate, that rain was falling much more um, suddenly. It felt kind of like the rainforest uh, here in New York. Um, during during the summer, and I was I was reading more uh, about the climate emergency, and I just um, I was becoming overwhelmingly alarmed, and I started moving a little bit in the direction of okay, I'll write about the climate emergency. I'll, um, you know, maybe I'll see patients in the morning and write in the evening. You know, I'll offer commentary um, until a good friend of mine 
said to me as, as I was talking about this plan. He said, don't start a blog. Discourse isn't enough. Think, what could you do to actually solve this emergency? And that was actually the turning point for me, that the, which, which to me is kind of like a before and after in my life. And so uh, what that switch that he flipped for me, he helped me flip, was regarding my expectations and my goal. Um, because I had never, I had never thought, oh, try, there's a climate emergency, so we should try to solve it. That's what, that's what I personally mm-hmm. should do. I mean, it sounds, it sounds abs- huge, absurd, like, you know, it's so huge, how, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it, it was the most empowering and wonderful vision. Um, and I realized I had never wanted anything more. And, and, uh, and, you know, of course, one person can't, do that, but but what I ask readers to aspire to is to uh, is to actually take responsibility for solving the climate emergency. And on one hand, that sounds absolutely absurd. Uh, on mm-hmm. the other hand, I think it's the only thing that makes sense. Is well, to, and it, go ahead. Absolutely. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, and and you make that really clear and and there was a line in your introduction that kind of set me back. And I've been doing this a long time. You know, I mean, I started my nonprofit organization that works with schools on these issues in 2002. So, you know, in some ways, I'm a bit of an OG in the field. But thank you. you <laughs> well, it, it's it I feel that a lot the same that that you described in that I couldn't not do what I'm doing. But there was a line that you that you wrote in the introduction to your book that really set me back. And I wanted you to take some time to explain it to our listeners. You said, each of us must do our part to reestablish our connection to all life and to recognize our bottomless responsibility to protect it. And, you know, I started to feel that way when I became a mother and I, I wanted to protect not just my my child but all children and that kind of flipped the switch in me but I honestly don't know how many people feel like they have that much responsibility resting on your shoulders so I'd like for you to help us understand this concept more deeply uh, so one thing you know from the in the book I, I talk about um, grieving the future you thought you had because that creates space for a new a new a new future and a new present and a new way of viewing yourself a new story of self and and i challenge everyone to think what what if this is what it's all about i mean what if this is why you're here this emergency and everything has been leading up to this, uh, you know, the, the concept of, of heroism. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I don't think too many people in our society think of themselves as heroes. Um, they, they might even think that that's a, you know, narcissistic uh, thing to strive for, but 
really uh, being being a hero is about having a mission that's that's bigger than yourself and and being dedicated to that. And we're in such a again we're in such a catastrophic situation. It is hard to overstate how bad it is. I mean, I you know I talk about it as the apocalypse. You know, billions of people are going to die, the collapse of civilization. I mean, it's it's a it's a nightmare, and. So what else, I mean, what else do we have to do? I mean, what Mm -hmm. else in the world is more important than protecting all life? I don't, um... Absolutely. I I think my, you know, spiritual system, as I talk about in the book, is that life, human and otherwise, is the most important thing, the most precious thing, the most glorious thing and at, to the extent that we protect life we can think of ourselves as you know good good people in a good society and to the extent that we destroy it we you know have to fight that it, that is that is an absolutely unacceptable state of affairs i mean so yeah, Absolutely. given given the extremity of the situation, I feel that the response that the risk is bottomless and, and infinite, and the and the responsibility is too. Mm-hmm. You know, you wrote something that was really interesting to me because you know uh, I have interviewed over the last twelve years of Go Green Radio a whole lot of different types of environmental activists, and and there's a there's a pretty large group of folks who blame it all on capitalism. And and certainly rampant consumerism, you know, has played a role. But you also write that the cli- the global climate emergency can't be entirely blamed on capitalism. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your views regarding the roles of various political and economic systems and, and, and what they've done and what their role has been in the climate emergency. So... When I look at our the the economic systems that are in use today or in recent history, mm-hmm. they're they're virtually all unsustainable. Meaning, uh, you know, they're they're heading for a crash. Uh, that's true in the you know, Nordic countries, the the Scandinavian countries that uh, have robust social safety nets. Um, that's true in you know authoritarian uh, socialist countries or um, like the United the Soviet Union. Um, it's it's true. I mean, yeah, some countries like Bhutan are mm-hmm. the best examples that we have of not destroying the environment. But so, so it's not we're not totally without models, but they're on a much smaller scale. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 just that um, to blame. To blame capitalism exclusively makes it seem like 
all we need to do is move on from our current economic system to uh, one that empowers workers in a new, in a in a fundamentally new way. Mm-hmm. And I I do think that's part of the solution. But my my point is it's it's much more than that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's um, an important point to make. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more that we want to dive into on this issue and so much more about your brand new book, Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. Don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Glad that you could join us today. And if you've just tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Dr. Margaret Klein-Solomon. She's got a brand new book out called Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. And step one in your book, Margaret, asks us to face the climate truth. And I want to give you a chance to explain what you mean by the climate truth. The basic thing to understand is that we face the collapse of civilization within the short to medium term. I I don't know exactly when, but maybe a few decades. Uh, I mean, but yeah, this is an accelerating phenomenon, so it's, um, yeah, it's just hard to know. But but anyway, there's so much going on with, the climate emergency, you know, extreme weather, um, 
you know, public health emergencies and tropical disease and all of this stuff. But the but the most important thing to watch in terms of the collapse of civilization is, as Lester Brown uh, lays out, is drought leading to food shortages, leading to mass migration because subsistence farmers can't feed their families from the from their land anymore. So uh, mass migration internally and internationally, and uh, followed by um, just increasing stress to the to the country because you know hunger and internal migration uh, is you know challenges uh, countries government and you know resources to help people so so uh, then it can cause state failure so this is literally what happened in Syria uh, they had the longest drought in their history. There was huge. There was a huge move to the cities from the farms, and and they, you know, it, it, as the Pentagon calls climate a threat multiplier. So it's not like there weren't other things going on in Syria also, but but this demographic and um, food pressure, resource pressure. Uh, absolutely created the conditions for the civil war. And it's, you know, it's absolute hell. State failure and civil war is, you know, just, just a a nightmare. So, so Lester Brown talks about state failure becoming then whole regions can fail. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, you know, it, it is literally the collapse of civilization. David Wallace Wells talks about sitting, setting human progress back thousands of years. So, so that those are the stakes, mm-hmm. right? Well, Bill, and billions of people dying. That's and, that's the climate truth. That's and, and I think for people who are still having a hard time, at least in America, wrapping their head around this. You know, you mentioned the Pentagon, and the truth of the matter is the United States military is talking about the same thing and preparing for that and how destabilizing climate refugees and and migrations will be. And so even if any of our listeners are still not sure whether this is a real thing, you can find the United States military's plans to deal with climate change on their websites. I mean, this is not hidden information. So, um, you know, I, I think it is important to face what what even our military is saying is a very real uh, and, and coming threat. You know, we've seen, we've had a few weeks now to see how the people of the world face truth. <laughs> During the pandemic, um, there are certain truths uh, about what needs to be done in the face of, of this virus. And I wanted to ask you, Margaret, has the world's response to the pandemic reinforced your belief that people can handle the truth that requires sacrifice? Or has your faith in people's capacity to take responsible action been shaken? I'm just wondering, what do you see when you juxtapose the world's reaction to COVID-19 and the action the world needs to take to address climate change? Right. I 
I think there are tremendous parallels between the two. And I think it's almost entirely good news in terms of what it is showing me about um, emergency response and how, how this can play out. I mean, obviously, we have a serious problem, which is that our federal government is totally incompetent and, um, and corrupt. Um, so that, that is a huge stumbling block on both issues. And we, <laughs> so electoral, you know, I mean, number one, voting out the Trump administration um, and other electoral strategies have to be core to the climate movement, the climate emergency movement. Um, but what I am seeing is a globally, a global emergency response that is transforming the economy, or at least temporarily, um, to protect life. I, I am honestly, honestly very surprised to see, I, I mean, after doing climate for six years, um, and and living in climate truth for six years, I I had to become qu- quite worried. And as I write about in in the book, um, that we that that too many people, especially in the United States, uh, have decided that really life is not precious and not worth fighting for and that maybe we're better off dead um, because, you know, humans are terrible and uh, like very, very dark, cynical view that, that I still think is a huge problem. Um, and, and yeah, in terms of some sectors, like, like I, I think that the, you know, the will to death and violence, for example. I mean, I do think that's incredibly present in our politics, you know, especially in the Republican Party, which is like, you know, it's not, it's not just that they're greedy, um, though, I mean, sh- surely, but it's, it's also that they, um, they want to destroy and they, 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 they hate, hate life. They feel such a terrible internal pain um, that the idea of, you know, thriving, growing uh, life is, is, um, yeah, they want to destroy it. So, um, okay, I'm sorry. I'm, huh, yeah, but no worries. You know, well, and I think, you know, I think one of the things in your book that was so surprising to me, um, because we've heard so much from quote unquote experts about um, leaving emotions out of it when we're messaging about climate change, uh, you know, that it should be more of an intellectual exercise. And you advocate for incorporating our feelings and emotions into our response to the climate emergency. And I'd like for you to talk about why a purely intellectual approach is inadequate. Right. Um, so, 
Yeah, for the past several decades, uh, we've been told that climate change is a science issue. It's been on the science section of the newspaper. We've learned about it in science class. And uh, that's, you know, that's how it is considered. And Mm -hmm. that is a, a huge problem because scientists alerted us to the problem of global warming and they, you know, help us understand the changes that are happening. But that does not make it a a science issue. It is an everything issue and an every one issue. And we need to approach it from every angle, literature, history, economics, psychology, art, right? We need, we need everyone to bring their skills to this and we need to use all parts of ourselves, our, our, our hearts as well as our heads. We, so, I, I mean, it's like science can tell us that people are going to die, that, that, that more than a million people have already been killed by climate disasters. And that doesn't count uh, the kind of second order effects like people killed in the Syrian civil war. So, so science can tell us, can predict things like that, but it's up to us and our, it's up to us to care. It's up to us to, to value those, those people and that, and that life. And to, that's, that's what, that's what, feelings come from that's that's their source is you know we feel grief because we we love each other i mean we don't want other people to die that's again we've we've seen that with coronavirus people are willing to change their lives to protect themselves and each other this Mm -hmm. is huge this is exactly what we need I agree. And it is it is heartening when people are willing to sacrifice what they could be doing or what they could have for the well-being of others. And that is a beautiful thing to witness when it's happening and, and could be something that could be a real game changer in the way that we think about the climate emergency. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Dr. Margaret Klein-Salomon. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. 
Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Our guest today is Dr. Margaret Klein-Salomon, a clinical psychologist turned climate warrior. And she's got a brand new book out that we're talking about. It's called Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. There's a significant section in your book, Margaret, that talks about what it means to go into emergency mode. And I'd love for you to Explain that concept to our listeners and tell us why being in emergency mode is a good state to be in. So there's a fundamental difference in how we operate. If there's uh, an emergency that's threatening our safety or not, Mm -hmm. right? If we're just going about our day and we're feeling certain feelings and we're taking certain actions and then something comes up like the house is on fire or, you know, some, there's, a, there's a physical threat and everything changes, right? We drop what we're doing and respond to the emergency with all of our focus, all of, all, all of our available resources, all of our energy, because that's, you know, if that's what an existential threat calls for is you, you have to um, put everything you've got into it now or you're at a terrible risk. So, so individuals, uh, this, this mode of functioning exists at the individual level, at the social movement level. Social movements can enter emergency mode and at even the national level. So this, the United States last entered emergency mode fully during World War II. We're partially in emergency mode now due to coronavirus, but we're not, we're not all the way there. Um, but during World War II, there is a shared understanding after the attack on Pearl Harbor that we are in danger and we need to fight back and win. That it's not, it, it, you know, it wasn't, oh, but is it too expensive? Is it, you know, is it, what about all, what about all the problems? It's, it's we, we, ha- we have to do everything we can. So, and, and just to talk a little bit about what emergency mode looks like for a social movement, yeah, is absolutely. I, I, think, I think the example of ACT UP is, is extremely important from the, from the social movement level. 
uh, ACT UP was uh, the AIDS uh, organization that, that fought for uh, better treatment and research and you know, for, the, for, for the government to treat the AIDS epidemic like the emergency that it was. And in order to, to do that, they, they employed uh, emergency communications, emergency, like, like, you know, they called it a plague. And they said, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that ACT UP said at their rallies was, you could get it too. You could get it too. And, and they, they used emergency tactics, um, like, uh, you know, busting onto news broadcasts and, uh, and uh, disrupting religious services. And they, they, in all of their words and deeds, they indicated, they, they showed the world that this is an emergency. And, and that is what I call on the climate emergency movement to do, it, and, and, and many, many have. Thankfully, there is actually now exists a, a climate emergency movement that, that uses these, um, you know, using emergency communications, emergency tactics, and emergency demands, demanding that the, that the government treat this um, like uh, World War II. I mean, just a, an emergency restructuring of our economy. Um, in order to protect everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to talk about your organization. You're the founder of the Climate Mobilization. I'd like to have you talk to our listeners about the mission of your organization and maybe some of the people who are on your team. Um, actually, I was looking at your advisory board. I've had a few of them on Go Green Radio over the past. Um, and so talk to us about your organization. The Climate Mobilization is built on the concepts of climate truth and emergency mode that that we've discussed. And it is an organization that advocates for a World War II scale response to the climate emergency, particularly one that eliminates emissions in the United States in 10 years or less and initiates a massive drawdown program in order to uh, actually eventually cool down the planet because we're already too hot. Um, so, and, and <laughs> um, reverses the sixth mass extinction of species. We need to, we, you know, actually have several environmental crises. So, so we advocate the United States government to initiate a emergency speed transformation of the entire economy in order to restore a safe climate and protect life. So it's a, it's a, you know, again, it's an absolutely huge, 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 huge mission. Um, but it is what is necessary. We, mm-hmm. we, so most, most organizations ask what is possible, but we, but we don't worry about that. We, we ask what is necessary and then we, are dedicated to making it possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so my co-founder, Ezra Silk, uh, was a journalist before uh, 
creating this organization with me and is now our director of uh, strategy, policy, and politics, um, wrote our victory plan, mm-hmm. um, which is a 100-page answer to the question, what do you mean World War II scale climate mobilization? Mm-hmm. What, what would that look like? So it, it, it fleshes out, it creates a vision of things like how we could rapidly scale up renewable energy production and deployment uh, and as well as a huge energy, national energy conservation effort um, and how we could transition our agriculture to all regenerative in five years and these different kind of just a combination of all of the strongest um, environmental measures that would you know, like banning single-use plastic, banning factory farms, et cetera, that, that if, if pursued would give, give us, give humanity a fighting chance of not collapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's called, a, yeah, it's called the victory plan because we can uh, achieve victory over climate and ecological collapse. Absolutely. You know, there was something that I saw on your website, too, and it was an amazing statistic. There was an enormous uptick in the number of government bodies ranging from cities to counties to states, just a wide range of government entities adopting a climate emergency declaration in 2019. And I would love for you to talk to us about that phenomenon and the role that the climate mobilization played in that. Yeah, thank you so much um, for that question. Um, so, the climate emergency campaign has been our most successful uh, campaign to date, and it it is an application, basically, of the concept of climate truth, the idea that governments need to tell the truth um, as a as a a fundamental step in in creating uh, this paradigm shift and creating the political co- political conditions that we can actually treat climate like the emergency that it is. So, working with some of our allies in Australia, we we um, Montgomery County declared a climate emergency in uh, late twenty no, early 2018 um, because of local climate mobilization organizers. And then uh, Hoboken declared a climate emergency. Oh, actually, Hoboken was first. But because of our local organizers there, and then we took it to the Bay Area, and we got got Berkeley and a bunch of other... um, cities in the Bay Area to declare a climate emergency. And so we, so we yeah, you know, we, you know, we set a, a precedent. We, we, cre- we showed both governments and organizers that it was possible and that we provided templates. Um, and so then we shared it with Extinction Rebellion um, as they were just... Uh, before they were had done rebellion day one and shut down five bridges in London, they they got in touch with us um, 
probably six months before that and said, you know, we're, we're creating this really exciting movement here in, in the UK and, you know, we, we are, agree with your approach. So, you know, let's, let's talk. And we, so, so we got very involved with them and, and suggested that, um, that declaring a climate emergency is a, w- a way for governments to tell the truth, which is uh, their their core at, always at their core um, of a, of the extinction rebellion's demands. So, yeah. So during rebellion day one, when that ha- when that happened, Bristol declared a climate emergency, and then London declared a climate emergency and set a goal of zero emissions by 2030. Um, and and so by combining the movement activity both we we work with um like local coalitions of organizations and then like extinction rebellion and and also the green global green parties by the way took on this campaign after extinction rebellion with extinction rebellion um and so so that yeah that combination of being in the streets and local governments sh- expressing support and re- and and reframing the climate conversation like restarting it basically with a declaration of climate emergency that's yeah that's been a really exciting um, thing to see, and yeah, so mm-hmm. it just it just absolutely took off, and now yeah. um, and so so yeah, almost fifteen hundred governments have now declared a climate emergency, including nine national ones, and it was Oxford English Dictionary's Word of the Year in twenty nineteen <laughs> because because media mentions were up ten thousand percent. Wow, that's such an amazing accomplishment and uh, quite a pivot, quite a pivot. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Margaret Klein-Salomon and her new book, um, Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. You know, Margaret, right before the break, we were talking about um, the Extinction Rebellion and um, some of their efforts in large groups, you know, uh, marching, protesting, and some of the successes that they'd had in helping um, various government bodies get on board with uh, a climate emergency declaration. But given the fact that so many of us are under shelter-in-place orders and things like that, are you concerned that the climate emergency movement might be sidelined for a few months um, as we fight through the pandemic? How do you see the, the movement progressing under these conditions? Yeah, I think there's absolutely losses, um, most notably uh, Earth Day. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a, this year, is this week is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. That was on Wednesday. And the youth climate strikers were planning three days of strikes. They were, they were planning what I, I think would have been the largest uh, climate demonstrations in history. Uh, but we'll never know because they all got canceled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, they went to a live stream, which millions of people have been to. But I don't, I don't think, e- and I was on the live stream. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But I don't think even the most compelling live stream can match the efficacy of uh, mass protests. And so, so that you know, it's a, it's definitely a loss. Um, however, there are some real opportunities here as well for for the movement. Uh, the public is learning. Things that are very important, such as about exponential growth and how when something is accelerating at an exponential rate, it makes it so important to respond as quickly as possible. And so so understanding some exponential risk, understanding that we can change the economy. We, the, the, the basic idea, I mean, the, the market, the economy does not control us. We control it. And if it is causing death, then mass death, then we need to change it. So, so I, I think that, um, yeah, I think that there's some very important lessons um, that are preparing the way for a actually adequate climate emergency response. I think that the movement, I think that also a lot of people now are bored and mm-hmm. have time on their hands. And this is a great opportunity to talk about the climate emergency. Talk, mm-hmm. I, you know, this is the advice, the one piece of advice that I give every single person is to talk about the climate emergency with your uh, friends and family and neighbors and colleagues. And you don't have to give them a PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> right? This doesn't, you, this, you don't need a master's degree. This isn't, it, this, again, this isn't, a science issue, you have every right to have uh, opinions and feelings about the planet that you live on and, the f- and, and your own future. So 
our our shared future. So so talk to your talk to your your people about um, how, what what you feel about the climate emergency and what you what you think the future holds and and ask them what they feel and what they think the future holds and talk about what you can do to get involved I mean, this is a this is a totally human conversation, and yeah, it is a little bit awkward, and it is a little bit hard. But you don't know you don't know how many people are going to say to you, "Oh, thank you so much for bringing this up. I feel very alone with my feelings." Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of feelings, because you are a clinical psychologist, and a lot of people, well, even before the pandemic, there's you know there are a lot of people who feel an anxiety that's hard to name about the climate crisis. And, you know, they do feel a little bit isolated with that. And now that we have the pandemic and and there's a lot of anxiety around that as well, many of our listeners just feel like all these emotions and anxiety are kind of compounded. Can you share some words of encouragement with us and help us grapple with all that we're feeling right now? It is. It makes all the sense in the world to be feeling intense, almost overwhelming feelings about the climate emergency and, of course, also the coronavirus emergency and, and the political emergency. I mean, these are very, very challenging times. So if you feel grief, if you feel terror, if you feel rage, if you feel guilt or shame or anything else, if you feel, if you feel uh, uh, in some part um, glad <laughs> that, that the world is coming apart, whatever you feel is appropriate. It's, it's fine. It's, it's, you have to approach that with self-compassion and understanding and, and even honoring the that 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 the the grief you feel is based on your connection to humanity and to all life the the terror you feel is based on your uh desire to protect yourself and your family these are these are good parts of us they're 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 we we have to listen to them they're telling us something terribly important Mm-hmm. And in order to deal with those, your book gives us some really concrete ways to take those feelings and turn them into action we can be proud of. And I really urge our listeners to get a hold of your book, Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. It's not about suppressing these feelings. And so often, you know, as we were talking about before, we were told to make this an intellectual exercise, and that's just so insufficient. You even talk about it being okay to feel fear because that drives us to action. Um, and I wanted to give you a little bit of time to talk about that aspect of the book. Thank you. There is an idea within the institutional climate movement, the the, the big greens and, and uh, much of the Democratic Party, that um, fear doesn't work as a motivator 
So we have to keep the message positive and just talk about the, like the good things about green jobs and you know renewables are cool and it's i consider i consider this one of the worst ideas in the world um and i think it's it's held back the climate emergency movement the climate movement so badly because it's just such a fundamental misunderstanding of fear. Fear is, of course, fear works as a motivator. Fear is one of the most basic motivators, not just of humans, but of all animals. Because fear is literally how we translate the perception of a danger into self-protective action. If, if, we, if our ancestors hadn't felt fear, they would have um, just stood by as a predator got closer and closer, right? It's mm-hmm. fear, is, it, it protects us. It's there for a reason. And so, so by, saying, by, by, by saying fear doesn't work, it has literally cut off one of our best self-protective mechanisms and really, yeah, really stymied the movement. So, but then there's also the problem if you decide in advance that fear doesn't work as a motivator and then, but the truth is inherently terrifying for, the, the, for people who don't want billions of people to die and civilization to collapse, that, that it's, it's like, what do you, what do you do? You, mm-hmm. you, you, you euphemize and you put it in these technical terms that don't, I, I mean, so, so I just think, yeah, I think it's, of, of course, fear works as a motivator. Let mm-hmm. fear motivate you. Don't, don't, don't fear fear. Right, exactly. And don't let it paralyze you. And I think you give some really concrete examples. I don't want to give away all of the good tips in your book because I want our listeners to get out there and get a hold of it. But Margaret, thank you so much for being with us on Go Green Radio today. Thank you for the work you do with the climate mobilization and the book that you've written, Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, everybody have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.